Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. What up, people? We're here. here. We're I mean, here. The place looks good. Yeah. I got my jacket on. You do. You're all knotted up. Feeling, feeling good. One o'clock on the East Coast, December the 19th. It is Tuesday. Rangers play tonight in Toronto, Dan. Yeah. Um, Great White North. Why is the market higher? Because it's open. Because it's open. Yeah, and go. that's been the mantra. And again, I will say, I I, I, I am sorry. I mean, it's been incredible. <laughs> the, the, since, since effectively July, August, September, I mean, you back out a couple of weeks. I yeah. mean, this thing's been on a runaway, just nonstop looking, no looking back in terms of the broader market. And here we are in the face of what I've deemed to be potentially catastrophic, you know, potentially catastrophic events. None of it's come to fruition, I guess, was, was a good thing. But, you know, it doesn't mean these yeah. things aren't going to happen. And I will tell you, yeah. you know, the more that I look at things, the more that I read things like there's an inevitability to all this, which is just getting continually getting pushed out. Until it's no longer going to be pushed right, well, out. Well, you use the term catastrophic. And again, a lot of folks, you know, who who listen to pundits and like me, you, you know, mm -hmm. you. I don't throw that light. No, no. But, yeah. but, 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 but I'm going back to the trading floors. We grew up in a place where people talked like that all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just very cat. You know what I mean? Like, like, so when we say things like that, I mean, we're not like talking about some sort of like, you know, event that looks like 08 or, or 2001. A meteor hitting the earth. No, or anything like that. I mean, like, like, like let's be really clear. And so that's kind of trader lingo there, people. Um, but you know, it's not trader lingo. Like, let's look at the rundown for a second here, guys. I love we the got, rundown. We got stuff to do. Today, we're going to talk about this rally that just rages on. We're going to talk about, oh, taking stock of tech stocks. You know, I ripped that off. I saw that in a note from Jeffries this morning. Taking so, stock. Taking stock of, of tech, tech stocks. stocks. Uh -huh. And then we're going to look at the crude. We're going to trade the future. Crude trades back on board. I know, but you and I might be on opposite sides of this one. Typically so, are. So we're going to debate it a little bit. And just so you know. To all you folks, guy just said, "Well, I'm sorry." Well, you know what, guy, you can say no, I you're am sorry, sorry for the S and P 500, which I also thought would trade 3,800 or so at some point this year. We almost had it, man. We almost had it back in October. Okay, but almost is not good enough. But we've also like tried to find spots where things w can work. You know what I mean? Like that don't have to be tied to that call as it relates to the S and P 500. Is that that, fair, that is fair? No, that is fair. I mean, through the lens of the broader market, I agree with you. We've picked that. Listen, we've done a good job in some sectors. Of that's just trading though you know trading. you know it's interesting and we i want to go to the rundown but people say 
And I understand why they say this. They say, at best, you're 50-50. And the response to that in our world, if you're 50-50 in our world, you are Ted Williams, Hank yeah. Aaron, Lou Gehrig wrapped up in one. I mean, the, some of the best traders I know, and Mark Fisher, who's a legend in my world, the commodity world, yeah. used to say, you know, he's right maybe 20, 25% of the time, but he's able to sort of do well because he understands when he's wrong and he understands risk management. So it's not just a coin flip. Trading is not yeah. easy. And, you know, we're here to try to sort of navigate what has been increasingly a very difficult environment. Well, that's a really good point. So we've gotten a lot of questions that you guys have noticed over the last few months or so we've been doing on Tuesdays, um, you know, futures trades, we're using stops on Mondays and sometimes Wednesdays, we're mm -hmm. doing options trades and we're talking about using stops actually in long premium trades. We never do um, naked short um, premium, you know, trades. It's just not something that we think is particularly suitable um, for retail investors. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about the idea of cutting losses, right? So cutting your losses and keeping them small and let your profits ride, that's how you can actually bat 50%, right? Um, or 500, that is. And and you can make a lot of money and just making, you know, like, you know, taking small losses. So ding, ding, ding. Yeah. You get well, that's ding, the point you get about ding, trading. you get yeah. dinged. And then when you seemingly, you're onto something, that's when you lose leverage. It's not unlike a craps table where by definition you're going to get dinged and then you hit a hot roll and that's when you yeah. lever up. And that's just, to a certain extent the same in trading. It's None of this is particularly easy and timing is obviously essential in terms of what we're doing, but we do our best. And I will say this, you know, I do also think we try to point out some of the things that can go wrong in an environment where nobody's willing to typically do that. Well, yeah. And the other thing is what we love about the market call and why this thing has continued to kind of expand throughout the week. And hopefully next week, it'll be five days a week is like we're showing up every day. And this is kind of what it takes to actually be successful, at least having a framework for investing, but more importantly, for trading. And Guy and I did that every day, you know, every day for years and years. And like, listen, a lot of you guys who are checking in on this thing is like you care about the day to day. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks would look at this and say, why are these guys talking about stocks and futures and, you know, indices and this stuff? every day, just kind of buy and hold. And we get that. And let, let me just be really clear. I mean, I say this to anybody who will listen, if you are not in it, if you're not willing to do the work on a daily basis, right? Like just dollar cost average, the major indices, I've been talking about twos and Qs forever the, throughout the bear market, right? In um, 2022. I mean, that's the way to do it for your investable capital. But if you're one of these folks who loves the action, you love tuning in, you love the stories, you love the competitive nature of it, you love the mark to market nature of it. Well, that's what we're here for because we enjoy that too. We wouldn't be doing it otherwise. Agreed. And let's take, you know, it's interesting. People, when stocks are oversold, which they obviously haven't been for quite some time, but the first thing people will say is, look how oversold we are. We're due for a bounce. And you hear that and there's a cascade. There's typically a chorus. But when we're overbought, you rarely hear that. Yeah. But let's take a look at the first chart because this speaks to something that we haven't seen, I want to say, in almost three years in terms of where the RSIs are now. I want to say this as well. You never trade off of one indicator. Yeah. You know, RSI is one of many. The MACD, moving averages, all those different things. However, when you see a reading like this at levels that we're at, you have to take notice. Now, people will say, well, guy, the market can trade sideways here for the next few weeks and work off that overbought condition. Yeah, there's some truth to that. That's typically not what happens, but it could happen. Yeah. But here we are at levels, again, is that three years? Yeah three years since we've been at these types of RSI levels, and you go back and look in terms of where we are in terms of the S&P, and that should, at least if nothing else, 
provide a bit of a cautionary tale. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Let's just kind of flip over to our uh, S&P mini chart in the futures here, because this is kind of interesting. It's right at that prior point. I think this was from this chart from a couple days ago. And Mm -hmm. when you look at this, I mean, again, might that look really constructive? Sure. Look at the consolidation that we had just a couple weeks ago before we had this move back to the prior highs, right? Sometimes it just takes a little time of back and filling to get that movement in the way that you wish it should go. Now, at this point, I think... uh, you know, a back and fill back to that gap. Um, you know what I mean? Back to that, just nothing, which would make some sense. Consolidate yeah. around there, build up a little steam, and then have some fundamental reason. Maybe it's into that Jan 31 Fed meeting. And, and listen, people, I'm not changing my tune on this, but I'm thinking about it. If I'm trying not to be dogmatic um, about what's going on here, you know, if we just run right into the January 31st Fed meeting, okay, from here, and we're trading at like 5,000, which is half of the Wall Street strategist, um, you know, targets. Um, Whatever they do at the Jan meeting will be an absolute disaster for the stock market because everybody has already voted and they're already on that side of the boat. So to me, I think you want to see some caution, some calm a little bit, right? Like a little bit. I don't know. No, I agree. And there's there's an old saying in sports, You a lot of teams go from worst to first, and it happens seemingly over the course of a year. Well, this next chart speaks to how quickly we've gone from a low and to a high in a record amount of yeah. time. And again, I haven't, I've never really seen anything like it. So let's pull up this we chart talked about it because this is, we talked about it yesterday, yesterday with the Russell. But look at, yeah. but just to, just to visually see it, I mean, that's ex- an extraordinary move. Yeah. I, you know, the thing that I have a hard time thinking about is like, you know, everyone's calling what the Fed did last week a pivot. And we've spent the last four days listening from Fed governors and officials and we're trying to walk back the notion that it's a pivot. And now the expectations, I think we have the CME Fed funds tracker guy mm-hmm. in here, you know, the way that they have pulled forward these uh, rate cuts. And then the fact that they're doing it just to get in front of inflation, getting to their 2% target, that's what Fed Chair Powell said on Wednesday, which got people really geeked up in a way. He's like, we're going to have to start cutting before we get to 2%, right? And that's actually the thing that they've been walking back a little bit is the potential for inflation to stay higher for longer, okay, which would mean that rates need to stay higher for for longer if they want to maintain their credibility about killing inflation. I also think that, again, you know, Volcker, right? So the Fed chair back in the 80s, the last time we had a spell of inflation, I think you've seen lots of folks talk about how, you know, Powell really sees himself as a second iteration of Mm -hmm. Volcker because we haven't had any meaningful inflation since then, about 35 years ago. And that's the job. That's what he wants to be remembered by. So if he starts cutting rates and you've made this point for months, guy, if things get too easy, it will only stoke inflation again. Well, we we tease the crude trade, so I won't go to that, but you're obviously you've seen what's happened in some of these underlying commodities since that announcement. And I'm sure you talked about it on Fast Money yesterday, but the seemingly walking back of some of the commentary we heard last week from a number of different Fed-like people over the last couple of days has been interesting. And then Sheila Baer um, is, I think, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she made comments about the Fed's making a bit of a mistake here. So we'll see. But here we are. And, you know, we talk about the inversion now, two tens are seemingly languishing around, what, 50 basis yeah. points or so. And I've made this point a number of times. If we make it to February and, you know, here we are a couple months away, that will be the longest inversion since the data has been collected. And typically, when you have an inversion to this magnitude for this duration, 
the, the downturns on the back of it are typically pretty severe. And obviously, we haven't seen anything close to that yet. And if you think for somehow it's going to be different this time and you hear a lot of that, maybe magically it will be. But yeah. I'm hard pressed to believe that given everything that I've read over the years and given all the data we have to suggest it's not going to be different. As a matter of fact, potentially could be worse. Yeah. So 53 basis points getting to that all time high as far as duration of the inversion. We know that the two year came down as those rate hike or, you know, mm -hmm. expectations have been pulled out. The rate cut expectations have been pulled forward. So we've had that move here. But God, we're kind of like right at the midpoint of the range over the last year or so as far as that inversion. We yeah. got as low as what? Um, 100 basis points well, we, or something like that. Yeah. At, at its zenith, we yeah. were north of 100 yeah. basis points inversion. I think we've ratcheted all the way back to like 20 or so. Yeah. Maybe even a teenager at one point, if I were to look at it. And now here we are to your point, somewhere in the middle, but seemingly with no movement now. It seems to be locked there. So again, unless I'm completely off my, in, off my uh, rocker, this will continue until February. And then you will have the longest inversion since that has been collected here in the United States. And to think that's somehow going to rectify itself with nothing breaking along the way. I just don't see how that happens. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's as far as the breaking thing. I mean, what would it be? It would be, you know, you've talked about credit. You talk about I mean, credit, unemployment. You talk about, I mean, listen, like, like at some point, and Doug Cass had a note out this morning on Real Money talking about a consumer led, um, you know, like, you know, kind of credit sort of issue mm -hmm. and again and that's really what it always happens to be i mean at this point it's kind of hard to kind of figure out what that thing will be in 2024 and i made this point you know yesterday and i'll just make it again is like is as worried as people were about uh economic downturn in 2023 this time last year they seem to be as complacent on the flip side of it and so you know like trying to figure out what can go wrong i know for a lot of optimists out there that's not a great thing yeah. you always say what do you say you were born on the wall street where no i mean but it's true. What can go wrong will go yeah. wrong. I mean, and I, I'm very upfront about that. That's how I was raised in Wall Street. You know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. And a lot of people are completely the other way. And they're always very optimistic. And quite frankly, if you've had that mantra over the last couple of years, it's done you extraordinarily well. But then just to sort of disavow or turn a blind eye to some of the pitfalls that are potentially out there, I think that's just equally as foolish. So that's just my two cents. Well, yeah. And I just say this is that, you know, I'm looking at our screens here, you know, and they're just screaming. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like, and it's just like, it, like, like, indiscriminate buying of stocks. So we've seen, obviously, the small caps have let off the bottom. Um, we've seen, you know, like, listen, let, let's pull up the NASDAQ futures for a second here, because this one guy, I mean, you know, there's so much talk. We've probably spent, you know, hundreds of hours this year talking about the MAG7 and mm -hmm. the outperformance there and everything like that. Well, listen, that clearly is demonstrating the fact that the leadership is still the leadership, but it's broadening out. I mean, like, like, look at that. It's on a runaway breakout for you to think that that is not going to check back to that breakout point at some point. So whatever you're buying here, you might buy something that you think is a laggard, right? Because the other stuff, Apple already got to its prior high. Microsoft was making new high. Nvidia got very near its uh, you know, prior highs, that sort of thing. So now you're trying to buy the second iterations mm -hmm. of those things in whatever sector they are. That's great. But when they have a 
reason to sell off. And even if it is led by the largest names, the other stuff might get hit harder, actually, because they're in weaker hands because they came to it later. You know what I mean? And so to me, I'm not sure that's a great strategy. We talked last week, we were talking about the semis and Carter had a, a call, a bullish call, you know, and playing for a runaway breakout. My point was in relation to the, yeah, in yeah. relation, yeah, in a ratio check. He's right. Yeah. And, and I just want to make one point. I said, I'd prefer like a global foundries or a Texas instruments that have been laggards, but those are for fundamental reasons, because if some of the things are underway, you know, and we had, we're going to talk about Micron in a few minutes here, you know, Micron pre-announced a little, I think about a month ago or something like that. Like if some of these trends are underway, if some of these semis that told us that the smartphone in the PC industry is kind of bottoming a little bit or starting to turn, then you're going to want to play some of those other themes, some of those things that have been left for dead. But just in general, buying the crap, a dash for crap, like trash is not a great strategy, especially when it feels like there's a bit of euphoria. I agree with that. I mean, that's always, it's seemingly, that's what people turn to when they no longer can find value in stocks that have run up. And they say, well, let's try to find things that have underperformed and hoping they'll catch up. And there's a reason why they've underperformed quickly. If Amanda and or Timmy can do this, put up an IWM chart, a Russell chart, because this 200 level is really interesting. And we've talked about this for a while. If you go back four or five years, you'll see that this is a level that we have had trouble with. And there you go. And if you even go, there you go. That's the great looking chart. So you see all those tops and we're right there once again, at those levels. And I think the last one that was meaningful probably happened in the summer, August of 2022 or so. And you want to go back a little bit further, you go back to March of 2022. And I think we topped that around 205. With all that said, you know, you can see we're up against it in terms of potential resistance. And you can also see where this index or where this ETF made its all-time high, and we're nowhere near it. So just something to keep in mind. If the small caps stall here, Maybe that's a bit of a tell. And if they go accelerating through the upside, obviously that's going to be a tell as well. But this is a critical level, Dan. The chart suggests exactly that. Yeah, I, I, I don't like chasing the Russell here after this 25% move. And I'll tell you why. I mean, you could say, well, you missed a 25% move. That's fine. You could have thrown a dart. I mean, the home builders are up 50% in the, last, in the same mm-hmm. time period. Okay. So like, again, you know, I missed the move. I missed the move. That's fine. Um, but one of the things I'd say right here is like, I think we're probably at an inflection point. Obviously, the calendar has a lot to do with it. The levels of volatility um, have a lot to do with it. The expectations that are built into almost every risk asset about what the Fed is going to do going forward. Um, like to me, I get it. So the only thing I just say about the Russell is that if the economy does start to weaken here a bit, they're going to lead to the downside the same way that they did in 2021 when they were the most susceptible to rate hikes, right? When the Fed indicated that they were going to do that. So to me, I just don't like the setup here, technically, fundamentally, um, from a sentiment standpoint. But guy, on the economic weakness front, and this is something that, you know, you and I have been kind of going back and forth. And, and you know, when I'm on the desk of Fast Money last night, it was Tim and Savita, and they're both making a great case for owning energy equities. Mm-hmm. They're under own. The businesses are run better. The, 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 the dynamics here in the U.S. relative to what we might need to do geographically, it all lends itself to a great scenario. But crude to me says something very different about global growth and, and demand. And you can say all that. I don't know anything about OPEC plus. Okay. And I don't know anything about all the drilling and all the supplies and this and that, or whatever. But when I hear things like we're going to be awash with supply mm-hmm. next year, and I think that like a lot of folks think that, that we're going to be weaker year over year, like right now, China is going to do 5% plus GDP growth expected to do four and a half percent year. This year, we're going to do about 2% here in the U S expected to do one and a half percent. So if there's any shocks to grow, 
growth, crude's going lower. I mean, in my opinion, because and I think that's almost what it's telling you. It's the only the only risk asset right now, guy, that I'm looking at that is flashing something that says the potential for weak growth going forward. And I look at that chart and I see that well-defined downtrend right. and I look at that support zone and look at where we've just come from about 68 to 74 ish or so. And I almost want to play for a retest guy of that 67, 68 sort of level to the downside. This time, if you're right. So obviously this downtrend's been in place. I want to say since what, September yeah. of this year, right? Whatever that day was, September 28th or so. And you have that very steep channel and the, the, you can see it. I mean, we've drawn the line. So if we fail here, the next leg lower takes us significantly lower just off a of time decay and that line than the recent low. And you might wind up being right. And if you go all the way back to the beginning of those green horizontal lines, you'll see where the ultimate support probably is, right? And it probably comes in somewhere between what, like 62 and 65-ish. Yeah. Yep. Flip side of the coin is, okay, we break through on the upside. And again, you know, the, the channel suggests otherwise we're probably going back down. Here's what I'll say to counter that to a certain extent in terms of the equities. And if Amanda and or Timmy can pull up a chart of PSX, this is a name we talk about from time to time. Yes, I'm cherry picking, but this is obviously a bit of a levered name. This was a spinoff, I think, out of Chevron Econico years ago. This is a stock that's make in, in that space yep. that's making an all-time high. Marathon Petroleum comes out <clears throat> MPC. We're within a whisper here at 153 from its all-time high, which I believe was 159. So there are a few other names like that. What has not traded particularly well are the big cap integrated names like Exxon, like Chevron, like Conoco. So I hear you on the commodity and I hear yeah. you on the equities, but within the equities, there are different stories yep. being told well, as well. Listen, you've had that right. I mean, I, I got to tell you, and the large integrateds, they actually got off their horse when they made $120 billion worth of uh, proposed M&A, you know, a couple months ago. Let's go back to the crew chart for a second here, because so guys, just let me, like as a trader and someone trying mm -hmm. to take little cracks at this, because I see a scenario where I, if I were to sell this, let's say in around 73.7. Right here, okay? basically. All right. And, I, and I'd see that downtrend. I'd probably want to put a stop right above that downtrend somewhere around 75 bucks. Okay. So yeah. I'm risking, let's call it one and a quarter, one and a half or so. You look at that 200 day moving average that's been flattening out there at about 77 and a half, 77, 70 or something like that. That's probably up in that range where it gets some resistance, unless there's something really Fuck macro yeah. out there yeah. that happens. Okay. But then I'm playing for a move back to that low about a week and a half ago at 68. And then if you just have all out bloodletting, you know what I mean? Right. You get yourself back to that 64, 65 support level. So that's how I'm thinking about trading crude oil right here based on my thesis. But again, there's other ways to express different views in the oil patch. Guy just gave you a handful of the equities that are trading really well. Maybe you have a different view on the large integrateds. You know, well, I mean, the, the, the large, it's interesting. So the large integrateds now are levels that, in terms of valuation, they've been cheap. They've gotten themselves much cheaper. The fundamental story hasn't changed for these names. What's changed, obviously, is the stock price. Yeah. And then people make that they they make that leap that well something must have fundamentally changed. What's changed is the stock price, but the fundamentals haven't. I don't think deteriorated. As a matter of fact, as we've said a number of times, these companies have the confidence not only to try to make acquisitions, potentially buy back stock, raise dividends, all these different things. So I still like the space, but the stocks have been telling a different story. Pull up an XLE and you'll see. By the way, this is something that a few months ago I thought was going to break out to a new all-time high. That clearly didn't happen. We stopped exactly at the right resistance level, that prior look. So 
Now you go back a few months. I'm like, Dan, we're going to go blowing through that prior high. That didn't happen. And here we are. Now we seemingly have found some sort of middle ground in the XLE. So I think if you're bearish the commodity, I don't know how much lower these individual stocks can go on the back of that, but we'll see. I think the stocks have priced in the move that you think is about to happen in the underlying commodity. So interesting, guys. So if I'm looking at this XLE, the 200-day moving average is right in and around here at the, like the current levels here. Uh, AD will put that in there. Um, and you know we're down about nine percent from that late September high, and that mm-hmm. was when crude was trading about 95. So here we are about 75. You can do the math. That's you know a greater move to the downside, let's say, than the um, energy equities. So they're showing some decent relative strength, and I almost wonder if the story was wasn't about M&A right now yep. in this space. If it was about buybacks and dividends. And, Would they be and, trading and, better? And, and that's one thing that um, uh, Savita said last night. So Savita Subramanian was on um, Fast Money with us. For the hour, she thinks they're very defensive. That's not something you've heard a whole heck of a lot about oil stocks in the past, have you? No, maybe defensive in terms of valuation in an environment where obviously a lot of things have extended themselves on valuation, I guess. I mean, defensive in terms of their balance sheets, which... They've gotten themselves in really good shape over the last few years, I guess. I mean, so I understand that terminology, but to your point, it's not something we've heard historically uh, with this space. If you could pull up just real quick, just for shits and giggles, as they say, sort of a longer term XLE chart, you'll see the ultimate high we made, I want to say, was somewhere in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. And we obviously, you know, these levels we banged up against sort of on comparison, but no, there's still... There is still some valuation room in this space, despite the fact that all the indicators suggest otherwise right now, Dan. Yeah. I mean, listen, that and that it, on a long-term basis, I'm glad you put it out. Like, let's make it a nice little flag, right? So is not like a, a bit of a back and fill Maybe. sort of we'll situation. See. But yeah. anyway, I just thought it's, it's it's just interesting to sort of look at it. Anyway. Yeah. Um all right, let's go to let's let's take stock of, of mm-hmm. tech stocks here because I thought this was interesting. Um, just to kind of pull it up, you know, there's a lot of talk about broadening out. People like to use these expressions; they sound really smart. I mean, obviously, there's breadth indicators that give us a good sense for this one way or another. But you look at this kind of table that we have of some of the tech stocks, and you look at the weightings that they have in the indices. I mean, you can have this broadening out, but they're still driving the train. People, mm-hmm. it's just that simple, right? So when I think about this, and I think about you know, relative to um, just look at these largest. Performance relative to an indice, the S and P is up, you know, twenty four and a half percent of the year. You know, those seven stocks make up thirty percent of the weight of that S and P five hundred. So, the real story for twenty twenty four and how the stock market shakes out is like, will the prior leadership continue to lead? They because have to. If you do the math on all these other sectors, whether it's energy, whether it's banks, or whatever, they just don't make up from an earnings perspective, they can't do the job, what it's going to take from an EPS growth standpoint, and they can't do it from a weighting standpoint. Just the size, they they can't, if you were to combine banks and industrials and energy, throw them all together, maybe even transports, they still pale in comparison to a large extent to the names you have up there. So the math suggests that if you want to continue to be bullish into next year, almost by definition, I'm not saying these stocks have to do what they did this year. But they have to absolutely outperform in order for the bro- that's just what that's the market we've created now. I mean, that's the backdrop yeah. that we've created that you need these stocks to continue to move forward, because if any, you know, if more than 50 percent of them start to give it up 
the broader market will feel that impact, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I want to pull up um, AMD for a second here, yep. Guy, because this is a stock that I think you know, you've know you talked a lot about. I think there's a little excitement um, recently about their new product offerings and the like. And you know, we were just doing our fast money call. And it, it's interesting when I was like looking at somebody, one of, one of the brokers had uh, a note out this morning talking about AMD versus, uh, you know, NVIDIA mm -hmm. and, the, you know, this, their chips in the graphics space are, are going head to head next year. They're finally going to have the supply. AMD is probably going to be a little cheaper. Maybe in some instances they have slightly better performance. They might not have the software ecosystem. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? But at the end of the day, look at this thing, how this stock basically it went from being a massive laggard in the semi space just a few months ago, right? to now making new highs if they can pull it out maybe on a five-year basis um and see what's going on yeah i think um, the high was november of 2021 you'll see i think came in around 158 or something yeah. they yeah i was actually pretty close so so we're so we're getting there I here mean, we are now but just let me point out yeah. because again i mean it's a remarkable story again this is now a quarter of a, a trillion dollar company i mm -hmm. think when they reported earnings a month and a half or so ago ish mm -hmm. The stock traded down to 94 after they reported. Stocks rallied north of 40%-ish since that point, which is, again, ex an extraordinary move. By the way, I remember being on a set of Fast Money that night, and what I said that night was, what people have done in AMD, they've zigged when they should zag. And a lot of people are going to sell this stock off of this quarter. They're making a mistake. This is a quarter you should be buying it on the back of. Now, I will be honest with you. In my wildest dreams, I never thought that a month or so later, we'd be pushing north of $140. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I thought yep. that could happen. But I did think the stock could rally. Now the question is, you've gone from, again, very quickly, a stock that was reasonably valued in terms of the different metrics we look at, to a stock that, once again, has gotten expensive seemingly overnight. Yeah, so this was the point that that I think it was Jeffrey's also making, um, and we were talking about it when they released these products. Lisa Sue came on CNBC. I think they had like some user conference. They were kind of giving some um, really big projections about the total addressable market, and it's you know trillions, right, mm -hmm. and, and more than people thought. And the stock really wasn't moving, and then it started to move. But here's the deal, and and so this is what Jeffrey's was plotting out: Nvidia's share price versus the EPS upgrades that have been happening all year. So they've been trading in lockstep, and then they juxtaposition it against AMD, where the stock has been upper left, um, you know, or bottom left, upper right, mm -hmm. okay, over this last, call it, you know, six months or so, but EPS growth has, or at least estimates have not been increasing. So at some point, either the EPS is going to step up to where the stock is or vice versa. And so it's interesting when you think about these two companies now, you just said expensive. So this year, okay, AMD saw its earnings are expected to decline about 25%. Next year, up 43%. And that sounds astounding, yeah. okay, except for one thing, guy. They did $3.50 in adjusted earnings in 2022. Next year, that up 43% is expected to be $3.80. Flat. So, 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 I mean, so, you know, you know, up high yeah. single digits from yeah. two years ago. So what do you pay for that? This is also a 50% gross margin company, maybe going to 52% versus NVIDIA. And I'm not making the case to buy NVIDIA here, which is a 72% gross margin country company that has similar expected growth next year. So this is how we kind of play the game. This is why we sit here and stare at our fact set machines all day long. All this day is how long. we try to come up with narratives in and around this stuff because we're here to try to help explain this sort of stuff, how we think through it. We're not the YOLO guys. We're just not. We're not going to say, never be we're that not going to read it on Twitter or Reddit or something like that and say, because everyone else is buying it or because all this activity seems unusual, guy. You know what I mean? You should just be following it. That's not what we do. There's plenty of places to do that, but it's really about the thought processes. So that 
thought process with AMD guy, my question to you is, it's like, does it look that compelling at 37 times? You know what I mean? Like next year's expected earnings, expected to grow 43. You could say, well, it trades cheap on a PE to growth, but the growth is not that meaningful if you look at it on a two-year basis. That's right. That, well, that, again, that's that's the context. And then people say, well, you're not taking in consideration this total adjustable market, yeah. TAM, which we hear about, and their potential within that. You know, They're obviously going to be one of the bigger players. So by definition, they should garner a higher multiple. I, I get the bull cases. I get the bear cases. You know, But the stories that we're hearing now, we've heard many times over the last few decades in terms of, again, secular shift, um, total addressable market, new paradigm, all those different things, which wind up being true in the aggregate, but the valuations never keep up with the excitement at the beginning, I don't think. And I think the same thing's going to happen here. Yeah, more on the Fed stuff. It seems like literally every hour there's a new comment. Doug Cash just sends this to us. Guy Bostic on the tape. No one should think that 2% is the only number the Fed could have for inflation, but keep it until price stability is restored. This is not going to be uh, urgency to back away from the restrictive policy stance. So it's interesting because last night, again, you know, we, we actually had um, Torsten Slock on mm-hmm. um, from Apollo. Sound- Sounds like a skier. Well, he, he's an economist at Apollo. Mm. Um, he probably did ski. I'm probably in the Swiss I mean, Alps. Like there was, I, I think that it was in his past and probably yeah. in his future. But Savita asked him a question about that 2% target. Is it arbitrary? And we long thought that if the Fed was unable right, to get and again, I know you're gonna you hate this when the Fed was unable to get inflation down, right? It's like 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 in their command, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. or whatever. But let's just say, would they ever move the goalposts? Would they ever say, well, listen, the natural rate is going to be higher relative to what has gone on in the economy? I keep hearing about how the economy's just changed now. It's just different, you know what I mean, than it was pre-pandemic. And I get it, there's lots of changes. But I guess you made this point. A lot of those changes are inflationary, which could lend itself um, or lend the case to why two percent is not the right number anymore it's going to be interesting and this is something elizabeth young talks about if they were in de fact move the goalpost what is going to be the knee-jerk reaction for the market and then what will be sort of the two three week effect when yeah. people realize well wait a second why are they moving it maybe they're not able to reach it so the knee-jerk reaction probably like many things will be bullish until people realize well wait a second they're basically tacitly telling you that despite all their efforts, they're not going to be able to get there. We'll see how it plays out. The inflation stuff, and you know, for a lot of people watching, hearing inflation's coming down, I just want to make this point for the thousandth time. <laughs> it's not coming down. It's just going up less fast, which is not, you know, you might say that's nuanced. It's not. I mean, that's just, again, to go back to math, that's the math. So the cumulative effect of inflation since this all started is is devastating for most people, you know? And then you look at, again, household incomes and the amount of people living paycheck to paycheck and the number of people, they don't call it food stamps anymore. It's a different, you know, this is a, you talk about a bifurcated market. This is a bifurcated economy where for a lot of people, this harkens back to things we saw 80 or 90 or so years ago. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny and it lends itself to to easier monetary policy, right? So that's where it brings you back to. And so the question- Yes. Who benefits from easy monetary policy? Well, we know the people who that own shit. But, you know, the people that get, 
and, it, and that's not for but, the but, show. But, but the right. irony is, in, in, as we go into election year, you'll, you're going to hear this time and time again. We've already heard it a lot, is that the, the current administration has every incentive to just kind of, you know, helicopter money or or aid or whatever it is to everybody. We've seen it time. Mm-hmm. We saw it in um, 2000 with, with George Bush, um, or I, I guess No, we've was, seen it before. Yeah. But I'll say this, you know, it's interesting you bring that yeah. up because, you know, you listen to Tommy Vitor in, in his podcast. Yeah. yeah. What's amazing is given a backdrop of, again, all these sort of things working in the in the favor of this current administration. I mean, their approval ratings at record low on the economy, on the economy, which which is alarming for them. If you think about you know, just the metrics we look at and then the approval rating. So you might be right. They might try. A number of different it's measures. Not working. It's not but, but, working. But it's funny. Let's just say, you know, the, you know, whoever the Republican candidate is, I mean, they're big part of their platform is really to cut a lot of this fiscal, you know, cut healthcare was the first thing yeah. that they wanted to do when they got in, in 2016. Um, they want to cut the social safety. Now, I mean, there's a whole host of things, right. That are not actually great for, so it'll be interesting to see if, yes. if, if like, and look at a lot of this fiscal stimulus, you know, whether it's the chips act, the IRA or this, other, you know where it's going, it's going to a lot of red States. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So again, you know, think about what went on this year with labor. Um, that's something that you, You'd think that would be beneficial. I mean, Biden is what, like, you know, the first president to stand on a, a on a UAW line or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But they're getting poor. Mark, your point is a great one, and it's not political in a no. way. Is that people out there who are struggling, and we this bring it back to that three percent inflation? It's three percent cumulative, yeah. right? And so, um, yeah, I get it, man. It's a it's it's a it's a tough time. I just worry you lose the safety net, you lose a lot of these plans, and I don't think it gets better for a lot of people who are struggling in this sort of the thing that I've been concerned about. I know we probably got to get out of here, but although the unemployment rate, that last jobs number, things went back the other way. So the yeah, unemployment rate improved, yeah. right? So it went from I think three nine to three seven. One has to wonder, you know, again, if you want to dissect it, the reasons why. I'm not convinced, though, the trajectory isn't going to continue to be higher in a nonlinear way. So my big concern has been this stair-step function of the unemployment rate that has not come to fruition. But again, I don't think it's just I, I just seemingly a matter of time. When you listen to companies and a wide swath of industries talk about layoffs and talk about the excesses out there. Yeah. So we'll see. And yeah. un- let me tell you something. A higher unemployment rate under backdrop of continuing credit contraction from banks is not a healthy brew for an economy that's driven by people having jobs and spending money. Yeah, and the only problem with that guy is that the unemployment rate doesn't move. The uh, like wage, you know, wage growth is is kind of flat-ish. You know what I mean? Like uh, right now, I mean, yes, like you know, people were worried about a lot of this re- uh, revolving credit that was going to revolve at much higher rates. But then we've seen the ten-year go mm-hmm. from five yeah. percent to you know three point nine. So like, I, I guess what I'm going to spend a bunch of time doing over the next couple of weeks is think of. Uh, and I know this is going to drive you crazy. Well, think about the soft landing. Yeah. What does that look like in 2024? It means there's no trouble brewing in private credit. The, the bank's balance sheets are shored up and we're not going to have those sorts of issues again. Um, consumers are actually okay because they're buoyed by, you know, wage inflation and a reinvestment in this onshore. You know, I mean, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And then here's a big one. And we talked about it yesterday is that geopolitical stuff is just calm and China. And I'll just go back to this. You know, we mentioned the China GDP expectations. You know, they are supporting their economy, yet 
it just continues to get Disaster. worse. And so is that something that gets exported and deflation from China? Deflation could be a very bad thing, right? Like it was something that the Fed spent a lot of time worrying about pre-pandemic. That's something you've heard more and more. The more you read, the more you hear, see the word deflation popping up in different places. And before, again, we, we should get out, but just quickly look at the FXI, which I think is yeah. around 24 and a quarter or so. Yeah precariously close to, you know, pretty concerning levels. I think 21 and a half was the October low from 2022. If you go all the way back, Dan, to I think 2008 or so, again, 21 and a half is that huge support level. So take this thing back and you'll see that this is, we're in the danger zone here in terms of the FXI and for whatever that means. Yeah. Um, Really quickly, um, let's pull up FedEx um, reports tonight after the close. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, 5% implied movement in either direction. How do we figure that out? I take the at the money straddle in the weekly, that would be the 282 half straddle, the call premium plus the put premium. They're each about $7 or so gives you 14. You divide, um, you know, that by the 283, you get about 5%. Okay. Like that's in either direction. Now, if you're looking to make, you know, a bullish defined risk sort of play in this, you could pay $7 for the 282 and a half call. You would need to move above two, uh, two yeah, yeah, 289 and a half or so. You just throw that $7 on that strike price. And that's where you would need by Friday's close and the vice versa, right? Um, to the downside. So this one kind of interesting, had that breakout, um, pretty constructive looking chart looks very different than the UPS guy here. Um, you know, this is one that I'm actually more interested to hear what they have to say about the input environment, global, you know, like different levels of demand and different parts. And and then it will be a read on retailers and the, um, and the consumer. A lot, you can glean a lot from what they say a lot of FedEx's problems over the last couple of years have been specific to FedEx. It was just mismanaged. Obviously, some macro things as well. But if you go back and if we can get a chart from 2021, you'll see that this stock made an all-time high. I want to say in the spring mm-hmm. of 2021, 310-ish or so in May of that year, we obviously fell off the proverbial cliff. Uh, we've gotten a lot of it back and here we are. So what can happen here? I mean, we've seen this before as well. You get an earnings report, you get the knee-jerk higher, and then you potentially trading against a huge resistance level. So I think that trade you laid out in terms of, you know, 290 being a break even, that makes a little bit of sense here, given what we've seen, you know, what we continue to see from so many of these different stocks. Go, go back quickly to the one-year chart, though. The one thing I'll just say with that 200 down there, um, you know, if I were looking to kind of fade this move into what might be a seasonally sort of weak period mm-hmm. in Jan, so maybe I get some weak guidance, you know, I might look for a put spread in like January expiration and kind of target that downside. So maybe I'd look at like a 280, 260 put spread, look to pay about $5 for that. So like a quarter of the width of that spread or so. But again, that's just being contrarian, not for a great reason, but I'd look to define my risk. And, you know, like, I'm not buying this thing here, guy. I mean, like, like under what circumstances, like a beat and a raise, um, you know, I don't know. Does it give the all clear for the economy? Because obviously a big component of the transports here, maybe, but 26% in two months seems like an awful lot. To me as well. Should we blow out of here? Yeah, let's do it. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I enjoy this. It goes by like that. Uh, We're back tomorrow. Tomorrow being Wednesday, Carter Braxton Worth. Yep. And then on Thursday, EY, oh, maybe she's no, not. She, because she told she's us on, on Monday. She's, she's on Halls, yeah, yeah. which means we got Butters, unless he's on Halls. Hall. You. you guys are man, stuck with great. us for the rest of the year. Here well, that's people. it then. All Go right. Rangers. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, see you tomorrow.